Before the sermon uh, this morning, uh, there's something that I need to address uh, regarding the prayers of the people. Uh, I had some conversations uh, with a few of you this past week, and it's just—it's to the point. I'm not going to let it fester. Just going to address it with everyone. So last week, uh, we prayed for the president by name. Uh, our president is Joe Biden. Uh, the week before, if you remember, we prayed for Donald Trump uh, because at that point he was our president. We prayed for him. And the prayers of the people uh, were, it raised some eyebrows and some perhaps interpreted it as uh, partisanship uh, in the altar. Uh, and so I just want to take a second and, and teach you about uh, the prayers of the people. There's different forms of the prayers of the people. No matter what form we're cho choosing, the prayer book is not partisan, by the way. Um, we're always praying for those uh, that God has put in authority over us. Sometimes it's more general. We're praying for all those in authority, not just in this country, but throughout the world. Uh, sometimes we'll say the president. Uh, sometimes there's the option of uh, adding in the president's name. Certain other prayers, you'll see an N in the prayer book, which means you should say this person's name when you're referring to them. It's tomato-tomato. One, uh, one version of the prayers of the people is not uh, better than another. Uh, there's no rubric that says, you know, if you like the president, make sure you use this one. If you don't like the president, make sure you use this one so you don't have to say his name. Uh, and I hope that you would know I would, never use, I would never stand before the altar and play partisan uh, politics. The reality is we're called to pray for those in authority uh, over us. And whether or not, right now we're doing, uh, there's seven forms of the prayers of the people. We're doing the prayer for the whole state of Christ church in the world, which we haven't done a lot. We've mostly done uh, form three and form six, which as a steady diet, I just think it serves the congregation uh, better. Again, uh, any seeming uh, inequity, right, between the parties, if you will, in our two-party system, uh, is incidental, not intentional. Uh, and the omission of the proper name is not a condemnation of the president, and the inclusion of the proper name is not an endorsement. Does that make sense? And I, I want you to understand that, and I also want you to understand I don't want this to be something, because I'm not going to do it, guys. I'm not going to walk on eggshells. I'm not going to keep score. And, okay, we prayed for this president by name 47 times, so if we get a Republican president, i got to make sure in that four years I pray for him by name 47 times. No, we're praying for the president. Uh, whether it's explicit or implicit, whether just the title, I think you know and God knows if we simply say the president, who it is we're praying for, uh, or whether we are naming them by proper name. Uh, so I just want to clear that up. Um, you can talk to me. I'll really just repeat what I just said um, again to you, but I'm happy to talk with you. But I just want you to know that. Uh, and we need to model as a church that we can, we can talk to one another because the people around you, they probably, we probably vote different even within this small group uh, to respect one another and to try to learn from one another. While, of course, I'm not telling you to be a spineless jellyfish, to stick to your principles and lobby for that which you think is, is good and just and in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ, while trying to also understand, particularly your brothers and sisters in Christ, 
with whom you may differ. Fair, good. I can't see anyone's face to see if you're connecting because of the mask, but there we go. So now let us get into the sermon. Uh, we can understand Jesus' ministry uh, in the Gospels as a ministry of new creation. Jonathan brought out some of this uh, in his sermon with the baptism of our Lord. And one thing that new creation includes, a ministry of new creation, it includes this restoration of proper authority, that the, that the world starts to work as God intended it to work when he created it. Because you see, and we know this both by scripture, but we also know this by experience, right? That the world doesn't often, uh, most of the time, work like uh, it should work. On account of sin, uh, death has reigned and, and demons have wreaked havoc. But Jesus came to put the world right. And this putting right is what we see in today's gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. Uh, N.T. Wright uh, makes this comment. He says that the gospels tell the story of God becoming king on earth as in heaven in and through Jesus Christ. So part of new creation is the restoration of proper authority that the disparity between the life of heaven and the life of earth, it shrinks. But the two come together. You know, and as we prayed in the Collect, God governs all things both in heaven and on earth. Thus in Mark 2, what we see, we see what it looks like when the governance of heaven, when the life of heaven comes to a disorderly earth. So Jesus comes to Capernaum, and he begins teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was the seventh day of the week. And the people are astonished by Jesus' teaching. Why? Because it has this authority to it. It has this weightiness. And, and one of the reasons that it has this weightiness is because the truth is weighty. The truth is authoritative. Uh, the, the truth... Um, has this authority that lies do not. It has an intrinsic authority. And this is especially so when Jesus speaks. Because the truth in person is speaking the truth. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, a demon-possessed man cries out. It seems like he had more than one demon because they speaking in the plural at one point. Jesus then, of course, he silences the demon and casts uh, him or them out. And what this does, you know, whenever Jesus does a miracle, uh, a miracle validates the message of the messenger. A miracle validates the message of the messenger. But it's more than that, because the miracle itself has a, a meaning. It, it's doing something in the world. So sometimes when we read the Gospels, we can flatten them out, and we can imagine that, you know, Jesus did all these miracles just so they were cool. He could get a following to prove that he was the Messiah. He was sort of like an ancient uh, David Copperfield or, or David Blaine going out there and, and just doing tricks so people would buy into what he was doing. But when Jesus cast out this demon, of course, it's, it's showing that in, it's validating his message. It's, it's showing that he's the Messiah. 
But it's this act of restoration and new creation because he is deposing what is an illegitimate authority, namely Satan and his minions, and he's establishing God's authority. Because what are angels supposed to do? Demons are fallen angels. Angels are supposed to minister to human beings and give them aid in becoming what God has created them to be. But fallen angels, they do the opposite. So Jesus, by, by casting out the demons, he brings this man back to health. In other words, to say it plainly, he's putting the world right. He's putting things back how they ought to be. The same could be said of his, of his healings and his, his, when he resurrects someone. Sickness and death are part of the old, crea- the old fallen creation, the new creation. He's bringing the, the life of heaven to earth. He's bringing God's future the age to come, into the present. Because what does it say when you read Revelation 20 at the last day? That God will wipe away every tear. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more death. So Jesus is bringing that reality forward in his own person and work. So incredible. But we don't want to stand at a distance and say, well, that's really cool that Jesus had that sort of ministry because the church as the body of Christ participates in the ministry of Jesus and is actually called and equipped to continue this ministry of redemption and reconciliation and restoration and new creation. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John chapter 20? Guys, wasn't that cool what I did? Good luck. No, he says, as the Father sent me, even so am I sending you. And when we look in the New Testament, we look in the book of Acts, we find the disciples ministering in a very similar way to Jesus. They're doing the things that Jesus did. I mean, the parallel between the ministry of, the, of Christ in the Gospels and the ministry of the disciples in Acts, the parallel is striking. And this is because the ministry of the church is nothing less than the ministry of Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus is, notice the progression. In the Gospels, Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends on him. He begins this ministry of teaching, of healing, and this battle with evil. As soon as he's baptized, Matthew chapter 4, he's baptized, and then, what does it say at the very beginning of chapter 4? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So in the book of Acts, you see this similar thing. There's this reception of the Holy Spirit, of course, at Pentecost. There's this ministry of teaching and healing. And there's also this battle with evil. C.S. Lewis Lewis wrote, enemy-occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you seek to follow Jesus, when you seek to be a bearer and a bringer of the kingdom, one in whom God is at work, and one through whom God will be at work in others. There's going to be pushback. You can just say that as a general 
principle in life. Anytime you attempt to do anything, to make any sort of improvement, or, or, or attempt a, a, a task that's worth doing, is, is it usually easy? No, it's going to take some effort. There's going to be opposition. And if we follow Jesus, we will face opposition from the powers that be and opposition from the evil one, in addition to our own brokenness. And as we grow in Christ, I wish I had good news for you guys. As we grow in Christ, the more we follow Christ, the, the greater the opposition gets. Because we begin to become a legitimate threat to the kingdom of darkness. So the disciples ministered like Jesus because they had been with Jesus. And of course, Jesus had commissioned them with the authority to do so. And they had learned from him firsthand. I mean, Mark, back to Mark 1. It says, Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum. They were there. They witnessed him teaching in the synagogue with boldness and authority. They witnessed him silencing and casting out demons. And over the course of time, they go from being witnesses of Jesus to being witnesses for Jesus. They went from observers to ambassadors. And that's how people learn. You've heard the whole thing. Maybe you've employed this at your own work when you've trained people. Okay, you're training someone? Okay, watch me do it. Now do it with me. Now I'll watch you do it. And then go do it by yourself. There's that progression. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel and have to stand trial before a council, the Sanhedrin. Listen to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Those who follow Jesus become like them. To come in contact with the divine is transformative. To be in relationship with Christ changes one into his likeness. And that's both descriptive and prescriptive. 1 John 2. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We should walk as Jesus walked. And when we walk with Jesus, this, isn't, this is Matt now, not John. When we walk with Jesus, our gait changes. The Christ-likeness of the disciples in the book of Acts highlights the salvific work that was accomplished in the incarnation. That God became man so that humanity might be saved, renewed, and recreated. And Jesus Christ was and is both fully God and fully man. So so as the second Adam, he is this archetypal human being. That, that means that Jesus is 
the ideal. He is what humanity in practice should be. So we see in him not only the most clear and definitive revelation of of who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The author of Hebrews says that in, in times past, he spoke through apostles and prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken through his son. So the clearest revelation of God is the one that we get in person, his son, Jesus Christ, because Jesus is fully divine. But also, and sometimes we neglect this, we get in Christ who united humanity, united a human nature to himself, this clear picture of what we ought to be. But also, it's more than that. It's not an ideal that we're just discouraged because we can never attain to it. But what we can be in the power of the Spirit and what we will be at the end of the age. He is the truly divine one, yes. But he's also the truly human one. And we see this, again, not to belabor the point. We see it in the disciples. We see them becoming holy as God is holy. See this transformation into the likeness of Christ. And this transformational power is available to us. We we do not need to... I mean, if you're like me, well, of course, we don't need to read scripture. If you're like me and you read the annals of church history and wish, man, I wish we had what they had. Wish we could be like that. Wish life wasn't so bland. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. The same Holy Spirit that indwelt the disciples, that empowered them to transform the world, that same Holy Spirit dwells in the baptized and empowers us, and is, is going to be patient with us, just like God was patient with the disciples. Their transformation took a while. But this is our calling, our life, to know Christ, to walk with him, to be transformed by him, and to share in his ministry of redemption and restoration and reconciliation. And if we walk with Jesus, again, we'll be like him, speaking with authority, boldly proclaiming the truth in word and in deed, bringing healing and reconciliation, silencing and casting out demons. So brothers and sisters, let us surrender to the Lord everything that we are so that through us, the rule and reign of King Jesus would come on earth as in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.